0: Good afternoon, guys. Thanks so much for being here. Really, uh, it's a good crowd. I'm really excited to, to see all of you here. excited to have uh, Bill here. Uh, let me say a blessing for the food we have already received, and uh, then I'll go through a few announcements, and then Bill will come up. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for your provision, uh, your provision in our lives of, of all of our needs. We thank you, Lord, for uh, your word, uh, for your gospel, and i um, and, but also, Lord, we thank you for meeting our physical needs. We thank you for this food and for those who have uh, prepared it uh, and uh, for that ministry to us, Lord. We ask that you would bless it to nourish our bodies and bless us to your service. We pray that you would be with your servant Bill as he comes up, that his words would be your words and that you would lead him and guide him, and that you would open our hearts uh, to your word and your word to our hearts. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, just a few... Uh, announcements before Bill comes up. Uh, one is our next gathering will be on February 6th. That will be a cookout, uh, an evening cookout. I am uh, actually still looking for a venue. Uh, so I'd like to have it at um, someone's home. If you have um, a uh, a room, the sort of a large large space that could accommodate 40 or 50 guys, and uh, and, and if you have a grill, uh, that would be that would be great. Or if you ha- if you want to put your friend up for that, you know, they have a great place, and uh, and then. Give me their name. That'd be that'd be fantastic. The um the speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Um, and he thanks you as well. The uh the uh dean the n- the new dean Andrew Pearson will be our speaker. I've asked him to address the men. So um so if I think that'll be a good good time and a good crowd. That'd be on February sixth, uh, and then on I believe it is March sixth. That's a Thursday night. Uh, we'll have uh, the Reverend Ken Jones. He's a Linton speaker and, um, and he, we're going to have a, a dinner at the club and, uh, and so he's going to come there will be a, a fee for that I'm still working with them on figuring that uh, pricing out exactly but it will be a really nice evening he's got a, uh, just a great ministry in, uh, at a church in Miami uh, he's had ministry in um, Southern California as well but really encourage you to look for details on that he, White Horse Inn yeah that's right White, White Horse Inn radio program he has been here before yeah yeah, so don't miss that and uh, bring a buddy. Um, the uh, the last event or the the uh, the last event that I have on the calendar so far is uh, is the men's hike, and that will be the weekend after Easter, April twenty fourth uh, to twenty seventh. If you have not done that, uh, it is the best men's ministry uh, retreat format that I have uh, ever been a part of, and uh, it's it's hard, and that's what makes it good. So. Uh, it's four days. If you don't have backpacking gear, no sweat, we will find it for you. Uh, you can, it's pretty easy to come across, and we would love for you to join us on that. I've got 47 guys who will uh, give testimony to, uh, to what a great experience it is. So uh, join us for that. Uh, Bill is going to speak to us, and uh, he is uh, called an audible on me. So he's going to tell you everything, uh, every, his topic, and uh, he's going to enlighten us with that. He, Bill is the... Pastor of uh, Covenant Presbyterian Church uh, over off Lakeshore and has two, two years? Two years? Is that right? Actually, two and a half. Two and a half years. And um, my uh, son goes to the uh, Covenant uh, Day School, and it is a fabulous program. So I'm a big fan. All right.
1: Three, two, one, go. All right. Now you can hear that. <clears throat> I'll try to speak loudly. Well, it's it's a uh, privilege uh, and a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm intimidated because I've never heard of a church having a four day men's hike as an event. So I don't know what to do with that. Um, I was already intimidated because I was talking with Frank somewhere the other day, and I said, "Frank, you just you're always you're just fit." And um, Frank starts... Showing me how to do those push ups where you clap in between. <laughs> and that's just wrong. I mean, I don't know if I, that, I think you were showing off. Um, so I'm trying, though. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm still not up to the repetitions that he says he's at. So, but I'm trying. Um, well, it's it's a privilege to be here. I had actually forgotten. We had gone back and forth a little bit. and um, But I had told uh, Joe that I was going to speak on Mary and Martha and men. Because I had been studying that passage a little bit. And I thought, well, that's kind of a good title. And uh, that, frankly, I forgot that that's what I told him. So um, I've been in John 1, though, lately. And that's what was really on my mind and what I was wanting to kind of continue to dig into so we're going to look at john one and you can call it mary martha and men if you want but that's not what it is um so but if you have your bibles uh, turn to john one or if you don't you can just listen um i did campus ministry for eight years at the university of texas and i'm an old miss grad but and then we planted a church out in austin and uh you know, students coming from the evangelical church a lot of times were um, nervous about all kinds of things. And um, one of the things they would be kind of nervous about was uh, just the whole quiet time kind of thing. They always felt like, well, you know, you get together with them and they'd kind of use you as their confessional. I know I should be reading my Bible, but I'm not reading my Bible. And, that and um, which I would encourage them to read their Bible. But I would also remind them at times that, uh, you know, the first several hundred years uh, of the church's existence, there was no such thing as a printing press. So, um, you know, don't get too down on yourself uh, when you're not reading your Bible every day. Um, Maybe you should just memorize some passages of Scripture and kind of meditate on those, you know, from time to time. All I have to say, it's great if you follow along. Uh, It's also good, I think, at times, not to follow along and just to listen. Because the scriptures were written in order to be read aloud. And that's why they're written the way they're written. It's why the repetition is there that's there. It's why the poetics are such as they are. So, uh, I mean, I'm thankful we have it in writing. Uh, Of course, the fact that they didn't have it that accessible meant that guys in the early church really did memorize large portions of it. But, um... Let me read to you from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of of men, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Of course, here John's talking about John the Baptist, but it's a little bit of a double entendre, I think. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, that is, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace In truth, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law, which is the first grace he was talking about, was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who was at the Father's side, He, that is the Word, has made Him known. Let me pray for us. Father, we do thank You for preserving Your Word, uh, handing it down to us for the translating that has happened and the people who have even given their lives uh, for its preservation. And we thank You that it's not just uh, words that, that... what You bear witness to in our hearts is the existence of the Word, Uh, your very Son, the one who loves us like no one else uh, has, uh, nor will anyone ever. So, Father, we pray today we would honor uh, the Word made flesh, and that, Father, uh, in doing so, uh, that we would learn more of your love and also of your call upon our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> it's a little breathtaking to read that passage, you know. Um, in, in my studies here recently, one of the quotes I came across just acknowledged that, you know, John, in John 1, he begins the same way that the book of Genesis begins, which was written and compiled by Moses. And so it's a pretty bold thing, actually, to begin anything in the beginning, right? In, not in a beginning, but in the beginning. That's a bold little phrase to crank out your paper with. And uh, and John begins that way. And, of course, he's reflecting Genesis 1, which tells us all about creation and about God creating. Uh, and, and I normally think of kind of Genesis 1, 1, and 2 as kind of being, the, in some senses, the most profound kind of... Uh, The real baseline for all of Scripture. Uh, Think about, Genesis 1 begins, in the beginning, God created. In other words, in the beginning, God did something, right? God made. God was in action. And and the word God there is emphatic in the original language. But um, John says something you could argue that's more basic than that. Moses writes, in the beginning, God did something. And, and John says, well, in the beginning, God was something. You know. And in God, we... I mean, he's really the only being in whom the, the being and the doing, you know, is totally knit together perfectly. But when John starts out his gospel saying... Um, That in the beginning was the Word. Was the Word. He's just telling us about the existence of this Word. And then he says the Word was with God. And then he says the Word was God. Uh, I would argue he's kicked it up a notch. In other words, what he's doing is he's taking... The law, in a sense, and is saying it really has been fulfilled. It really has been filled out, fleshed out, might we say, and in the most profound of ways that no one would have ever uh, guessed at. Uh, That theologian after theologian through the centuries have read John 1, and they've said, you know, uh, this just simply reads like something that no man would ever write of his own accord and when, when you think about how did John write this I mean um, you know, how do you get to the point where you sit down to write your gospel and you begin well in the beginning was the word I mean once again you've gone way back at that point you know <laughs> um, well John knew Jesus and I think there are two ways we ought to think about this that should be very encouraging to us John knew Jesus Jesus had talked to John but not only that John had heard Jesus teach, and John had heard Jesus reflect on the Scriptures. And the same Holy Spirit whereby Jesus, the Word, was raised from the dead is the Holy Spirit that John has as well. Of course, he's the same Spirit that you and I have for Christians. And that Spirit has been leading John... Deeper and deeper off into an understanding of how God has revealed himself in the scriptures. And as John has reflected on all of that, John has come to this unequivocal point where he's saying all reality is based upon not a thought, not a... um, A principle or a divine set of principles, which is really kind of what that word logos, that's translated word, it's a very commonly known word among the educated folks of that time and even for centuries. But John has come to realize that the the center and basis of everything is who we call Jesus Christ. I mean, so much so that he would say he was... He existed from the beginning. He was with God. He was God. And not only that, to just blow our minds, he says, in fact, through him, all things were made. Now, I don't even know what all that means. He's the means whereby all things are created. He says, in fact, without him, nothing was made which has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, right? Which is an invitation in and of itself, right? Because he's saying it's not he's not just someone who existed. He's someone who existed and who exists for men. And the light shines in the darkness. and the darkness, some translations say he's not comprehended it. The better translation, I think, is that it's not uh, overcome it. Um now, in thinking about that, <clears throat> I always try to read I read too many things um, and sometimes it gets a little out of control, but recently, for Christmas, someone gave me uh, my favorite poet is a guy named Billy Collins. if you don't like poetry, I recommend that you pick up some Billy Collins and read it he's been the poet laureate for the u s twice one of the only two people to ever do that he's still living. Um, and he's about Frank's age, but I guarantee you you cannot do a clapping push-up. And, um, but he's, he's not, as a, as a pastor, and I think this is true not just of pastors, but as Christians, we deal a lot with words, you know. And so people who deal well with words, we have a certain affinity with. And I, I always, I appreciate folks who take words seriously, and not just seriously, but playfully, and Billy Collins is one of these guys who just makes it look so easy. And uh, I want to read to you one little poem, because i had been meditating on this as I was, had been reading John 1. This is a poem called The Unfortunate Traveler, and it'll give you a good sense for how Billy Collins is both profound and humorous. Uh, the Unfortunate Traveler. Because I was off to France, I packed my camera, along with my shaving kit, some colorful boxer shorts, and a sweater with a zipper. But every time I tried to take a picture of a bridge, a famous plaza, or the bronze equestrian statue of a general, there was a woman standing in front of me, taking a picture of the very same thing, or the odd pedestrian blocked my view, someone or something always getting between me and the flying buttress, the riverboat, a bright cafe awning, an unexpected pillar. So into the little door of the lens came not the kiosk or the altarpiece, no fresco or baptistry slipped by the quick shutter. Instead, my memories of that glorious summer of my youth are awakened now, like an ember fanned into brightness, by a shoulder, the back of a raincoat, a wide hat, or a towering hairdo. Lost time miraculously recovered by the buttons on a policeman's coat and, my favorite, the palm of that vigilant guard at the Louvre. Now, as Billy Collins, you know, reflects on traveling and the fact that every time he tried to focus on something, get something done, do something, there was something in the way. Um, you know, it, it's kind of that messed up something in the wayness of life that John is actually speaking to in John 1. When John says um, that the light shines in the darkness, this word which was from the beginning that took on flesh, and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, what john is is beginning to tell us is this he says you know that kind of way life is where there's always something in the way there's always something messing up the thing that's supposed to be right there's always something making the thing that's supposed to be clear unclear there's always something making the thing that's supposed to be simple complex And the thing that's truly complex, you feel like you're too simple to unpack it. He says that something-in-the-wayness about life is not just kind of something-in-the-way, so to speak. It's evidence of something really gone wrong. And it's what, from the beginning, throughout the Scriptures, one of the words that's used to, to describe that is darkness, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and God's word went forth, right? God spoke. Everything that God said was accomplished. Well, now, John is telling us that the word, that it was not just words But that ultimately God would speak a word. And that that word also would go forth into the darkness, over the darkness, through the darkness. And that the darkness would seek to stop it, but the darkness would not overcome it. See, John's already foreshadowing for us the crucifixion, the public ministry of Jesus, the ultimate crucifixion, as well as the resurrection. The light shines in the darkness. There isn't a such a thing as darkness, but the darkness is not overcome it. Now, in, in meditating all this, I want to share with you just uh, an application, I guess you would say, or, or a way of thinking that um, I, this this text has got me thinking about you know when you read a text like john 1 what happens is our 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 view of jesus gets larger and that's what it's designed to do i mean we're always tempted to make jesus smaller than he is in our minds in our hearts um we had a hymn teed up the other day to be sung at church and um i was reviewing what we were going to do and And the hymn talks about um, us crowning Jesus our Lord. And I thought, I don't think so. I don't see anyone in the Bible crowning Jesus anything other than with a crown of thorns, at least men. God is the one who has crowned him king and Lord, and we're the ones who bow at his feet. Lie prostrate before him. You know? In other words, uh, there's a constant need, and I feel this as a pastor. You know, someone who, uh, to put it bluntly, makes their living preaching. You know, I constantly need to be having a bigger view of Jesus because my tendency is, is to treat Him like, even to present Him from the Scriptures as someone who can be managed. Someone you can kind of get your mind around and, you know, eventually get a hold of and be able to kind of explain to folks, you know. Don't get me wrong. We can know about Jesus. But the view that John presents of Jesus in John chapter 1 is a view of Jesus that's so large that after you hear it, maybe I should say while you're hearing it. I mean, you felt it earlier as we're reading. You just think there's nothing to do but bow down in worship. There's nothing to do but cry out and say, Lord, if this is true, why do we even exist? Why am I here? Could it be that a God that's that powerful, that profound, that large, I mean, is it really true that that kind of God has drawn this near in order to be this gentle with us, this careful? And the answer is yes. That's why it's called good news. I want to hand out. So I brought you a um, a party favor. I guess you might say. Now um, yeah, I know. I mean, we're, we're all probably have similar kind of backgrounds, and so everybody in the room's type A. So <clears throat> with a type A crowd, you can't hand out the party favor beforehand because you know, everybody'll read it and take notes on it and all kind of things. But now it's time. And um, all this is—is is a uh, actually, I wanted to have it on cardstock, and a, anyway, that we couldn't get it to work today. But um, I, I like to kind of, as I'm studying, take different quotes from people I've been reading, and just hold on to them and meditate on them. And a lot of times, I'll turn them into bookmarks or something like that, just to kind of have them with me. Or one of my mentors always puts things like this in a letter. You never get a letter from joe Novenson, as a pastor in chattanooga you never get a letter from joe that doesn't have the letter as well as a quote like from a christian throughout history in it which is very helpful but in telling you what i just said i, I think this actually puts what i'm trying to say better than i could ever say it and it, it's from a commentary if you might call it that by dale brenner dale brenner's uh still alive he lives out in pasadena california He's semi-retired, um, and, but it's a quote by a French theologian named Frederick louis Godet and he says this, he says, If the supreme dignity ascribed to Jesus in John 1 is denied him, however worthy of admiration as Christ may be, humanity may and should always look for another. In other words, if Jesus is anything less than what John says he is in John 1, we should look for another Savior. Because faith is not faith. That is to say, it's not faith without reservation except so far as it has for its object that beyond which it is impossible to go. See, the beauty of John 1 is that what it's telling us is is that you can't go any further, you can't go any deeper, you can't go any wider, you can't get more profound, you can't get stronger, you can't get smarter, you can't get anything beyond Jesus. One Scottish theologian used to put it this way. He would say, there is no God back behind Jesus, you know. It's not that there's Jesus, but then if you really want to see God, just kind of look back behind Jesus and there's God back there behind him. No. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome. That Word, that profound Son of God, came in order to take on flesh. And not just take on flesh. But to be the least in order that we might have the most. Now here's what's befuddling for me about that. Am I okay on my tongue? You and I live, um, and, and you know, we're just talking here. Um, we live in a time where uh, there's an incredible amount of upheaval, right? I mean, right now there's enormous economic fear, um, upheaval. My, my father in law. He was a very meticulous man. Was a farmer. Went to Vanderbilt. Worked for a cotton cooperative for years. Just, you know, um, lost a bunch of money. You know, back when the stock market crashed. And, um, you know, some of that has come back and all. But he, he, I I think he, as much as anyone, began to make me aware of just how unsettling things were. Because it was right as he was retiring, and all of a sudden, the retirement that was going to be X was actually Y. And he's sitting there wondering, well, is it just going to go all the way to Z? You know, or is it, you know, and, uh, you know, you have the health care issue in America that is anything but a simplistic issue to deal with. Um, you have uh, Republicans who hate Democrats and Democrats who hate Republicans. I lived in Austin, Texas for um, 16 years, and Austin's this liberal city in the midst of one of, if not the most conservative states in America. It's like a California city, you know, in the middle of all this oil. And, um, and, and it, it's not that there was disagreement. It's that there was, and, and not just that there was hatred and vitriol, you know, in, out in the culture. It's that there is deep, deep suspicion, mistrust, and even a willingness to always think the worst. And when I say all that, I'm not talking about the pagan culture. I'm talking about in the church. The culture war is so deep and so heated and actually so blunted that as Christians, I think you and I find ourselves in a very difficult situation in one sense. Now, the flip side is I think we find ourselves with an incredible opportunity. But here's the difficult situation. There's nothing new about it. But when you reflect on who God is and what he's done, it's not just the power that gets you and the might. It's the humility as well and the gentleness, and the absolute care, you know? I mean, even in Genesis 1 through 3, when God places Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, it's, it's the same way that a pro golfer would place the golf ball on a tee. That's, you, you could kind of translate it that way. It's just this absolute careful setting them exactly where they belong. And all throughout the scriptures you get, I mean, John's trying to tell us, look, Jesus came into the world in order to be exactly what we needed and to do exactly what we needed and the care with which he took. I mean, the result is that all who look to him, even though those who, I mean, there's actually a phrase, you know, in this passage that says, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Now, that's quite a situation, isn't it? And yet, being in the world, that he made, and that the world didn't just not know him. That means the world was suppressing the knowledge of him, the Apostle Paul tells us. Jesus' response to that is that he went to his own, and even though they didn't receive him, those who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God. Now here's my question. If that's our story, how should you and I function in the midst of the world where people simply don't have the ability to discuss things carefully? How are we to function in the church when possibly the biggest enemy of the church right now is itself? In other words, it's possible. It's not possible for the darkness to consume Jesus. That's impossible. Jesus already rose from the grave. But is it possible for an individual church to be consumed by darkness for a time? Is it possible for individual Christians to be given over to vitriol, suspicion, rage, blindness, because of hatred? Is that possible? Oh, man. Matter of fact... In order to not be taken over by that, we have to look to Jesus and Jesus alone. And look what happened to Jesus. And it wasn't the pagans just who did it to him. It was the religious people. In other words, I think passages like John 1 are here in order to give you and me the courage to live According to the love that is God. Now that doesn't mean we roll over. It just simply means that we do this tightrope act that is absolutely impossible without the Holy Spirit. And yet what the Bible's telling us over and over again is we have the Holy Spirit. We can do the impossible. That's what Jesus meant when he said, look, your righteousness has to be better than the Pharisees. The disciples are saying, what the heck are you talking about? That's impossible. And Jesus is saying exactly, but it has to be that way. In other words, you have to live according to the law of love. Your life, your way, your church, your family, your business, it's all to reflect a God who's this powerful and this careful. And so we read a text like John 1 and we go, I mean, you know how do you even begin to get your mind around it and and here's again the good news the god who wrote it but not just the god who wrote it the god who it's about the god who's bringing it to you and me is the same god at work in this room right now it's the same god who from the beginning when the holy spirit hovered over creation the Spirit came upon Jesus at His baptism, it's the same Spirit who came upon you at yours. It's the same Spirit that's poured out upon this church. It's the same Spirit that's even poured out upon Presbyterian churches sometimes. And uh, and the challenge is, I think, what Goday said. To live Without reserve. As if Jesus is who He really said he is. And to act the way our Heavenly Father has acted toward us in Christ. Which will give us the ability to be strong and courageous and careful and respectful and gentle and unapologetic. All at the same time, even if it means dying for our enemies, which it will, by the way. We're promised that. That's not something that like, people in Africa do. That's something all Christians do, if we're real Christians. We die for those who hate us. That's the gospel, Right? Now, don't get me wrong, that scares me. But um, So, I'll kind of wind it down with this. I think in order for us to kind of deal with the big things that way, we have to start smaller. <laughs> I'm training two puppies right now. Don't ask me why I gave family two puppies for Christmas. That was that was stupid. Um, but we have two puppies, male and female, brother and sister, my wife, bless her heart. Um, So, uh, and what I've learned is, we did it all wrong, by the way, at first. Um, But now we're starting where they they spend a lot of time in the crate. And so you go from small, small space and just carefully broaden out. And I've thought, yeah, that's kind of how life is. And, um, you know, Jesus says, you know, those who are um, are responsible with a little will be given more. And um, so... But here's the deal. I think rather than getting so wound up about some of the big-picture items in our world that um, the press and the church at times and the culture and all is trying, just seems to delight in in making us nervous about. I'm not saying we should uh, ignore it. But it seems to me that as we reflect on a passage like this, that maybe even moving into a new year, you and I could begin this way. We could say, okay, what if I were to deal, just begin to kind of ask some basic questions about the four, what I think are kind of the four major issues of life in light of who Jesus is and what he's done." So in dealing with my money, what if I acted like Jesus is Lord, he's completely sovereign over everything. I have nothing to fear, literally, because the one who I'm united with by faith has attacked the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome him, and it never will, which means it will never overcome you in Christ. So what if I were to deal with my money that way? That means I'm free to invest it how I want to invest it. I'm free to give it how I want to give it. And it's my money. I'm not its. It is mine, right? It doesn't own me. I own it. Second thing, what if I were to deal with my family this way? I mean, let's just start with wives. The kind of care we've been talking about here. If you believe that the kind of power that is Christ's is yours, and what that means is that you and I believe that we have all the self-control we will ever need at our disposal. And we have the ability to face down, not in a 90-mile-an-hour train, but actually an angry wife and 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 say, Honey, you're right, and um, I'm sorry. You know, you're right. Or even say, You know, I don't know if you're right or not, but I know this much. Um, I would do nothing to hurt you or intentionally, and I, I'm just, I'm sorry. You know. Um sex. you know, We live in a culture that, that really makes men think that um, the older you get, the less of it there's going to be, and it's not going to be as good. And furthermore, um, in a, there's a whole world out there full of people who are perfectly sculpted. But as Christians, we're able to say, well, we serve the God who created the body. And so we're good stewards of it, but we don't worship it. We worship him. And then finally, calling, you know. I think the God, my guess is there's no one in this room right now who won't in the coming year question their calling. Won't won't wake up one day and go, I am sick of making money the way I'm making money. Isn't there something else I can do (laughs) to earn a living that will be a little bit more fulfilling? And I don't know, you know. Um, And what we're saying here is the God we're united with in Christ is the God of all purpose and all meaning. Um, And, of course, the beauty of this is that uh, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And he had not stopped being among us. Even as we go from here now, he's with us. Jesus says to his disciples, look, I have to leave you in order that I'll be with you. Because if I stay, I'll be in one place at one time. But if I go, I'll be in all places at all times. I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. And then you will know how effective my blood really is. Well, I appreciate you uh, letting me come today. And uh, I'd love to pray for us before we go, if that's okay. My friend, is it okay if we stand? Are you going to say anything at the end? Why don't we stand and I'll pray and then we'll say the Lord's Prayer together. And we'll even use the word trespasses, right? Instead of debtors, yeah. We pray. Father, thank you for gathering us. We know that our very gathering, the gathering together is evidence that um, uh, it's not good for the man to be alone, and so you've not left us alone. You've given us brothers uh, in Christ. And so give us the grace, Father, to live like those whose brother, uh, whose elder brother, uh, is the Word made flesh. So we simply pray together uh, as you've taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power, forever
0: and ever.